However, before we get into next week, we're going to finish up the series. We're in the, the last four weeks, this being the fourth week. And, and the idea that this series is hope is here. The hope is here. That it lives here in the body of Christ. And so we're going to dive into some things this morning. Uh, but before we do, I was reminded that in all the acknowledging of our winner yesterday with the chili cook-off, I omitted to mention, which I know some of you are really surprised by that, that I would forget to say something. Um, I, I, Greg told me about the BMW thing, like literally seconds before I walked back up here, totally forgot to say anything. So thank you to Pastor Greg for, for saving me on that one and saving the, whoever's BMW it was, and now their battery's not going to be dead when they go out after church. But I wanted to kind of mention this because we did have some, a cornhole tournament, and we had a couple winners. And so I don't want to leave them out in the cold. I want to acknowledge them. Now, let me say this. The winners of this did not approach me and say, hey, you didn't mention me. Someone else, just a concerned gentleman that was here at the cook-off, wanted to make sure that we did the right thing. So uh, we're not going to have him come up front and nothing like that. Uh, but we did have uh, Douglas McMahon and Rick Hogue actually won the cornhole tournament yesterday. Yeah, you should applaud that. Because I don't know. I think, Rick, you said you played like a little bit before. I don't know if Doug's ever played before, really. He's played a little bit, but I guess he threw a lot of horseshoes back in the day. So that came back to him a little bit. The funny thing is, and I have to say this, do you ever say stuff and then you regret saying stuff when whatever happens, happens? So right before the championship game, it's Rick Hogue and Doug McMahon. And I'm not going to say, you know, ages or anything. Guys that were going against them, one maybe in his mid-20s, maybe. The other one in his 30s. And, and one of these gentlemen, because they had schooled the people they had thrown against before, they were talking a lot of smack. Really not them, just this one guy. And literally before it began, he goes, all right, let's get this over with, this young guy. And he looks at his competition. He's like, yeah, let's just get this done. Come on, let's go. And I'm, I'm like, dude, you better be careful, man. I, I played with these guys. He can throw the bag. Oh, it's no problem. It's no problem. We're going to wipe the floor. And I was like, oh. Okay. I'm not kidding you. I walked out of the fellowship hall, talked to some people, come back in, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, not even. And I come back in and they're already over by the tables again. And I was like, oh, you guys taking a break? And they're like, no, it's done. <laughs> Just schooled them. And I, I looked at the one young kid. I was like, you know, I think the Bible says something about pride and a fall. I think that's somewhere in the Bible. So I had to acknowledge these guys wiped the floor with the competition. So I will say this though, Josiah and I were on a team and we had to play them. I think we played them right before. And uh, we ended up, we did lose to them obviously, but it was 21-20 we lost. So it was a really good game. Josiah carried me pretty much the whole game. That's my 10-year-old son, in case you don't know who Josiah is. Uh, he literally carried me the entire two games we played because I played against Wesley and and Dylan, another young kid. And so, yeah, so it was, it was a lot of fun though. So, but this morning, uh, as I said, enough of that, we're going to get into uh, our week four of Hope Is Here series. And so we've been covering a lot of ground and I pray that over the last four weeks that you've been encouraged and strengthened in your faith, not only in your faith, but in the hope that we have in Christ, that we don't hope like some wish on a star, we don't hope like, man, I kind of hope this comes true one day and it's this wishful thinking. The Bible does not portray hope to the believer in that sense. The Bible is clear. The hope that we have is based in a faith that we put in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which we read about in his word. 
The hope that we have is not a I wish on a star hope. It's a confident guarantee that the things that God has said in his word will come to be. And so we put our faith and our hope and everything that we have in believing that Jesus Christ truly is the son of God. He truly is the risen savior and he is truly Lord of Lord, King of Kings. And so we put our hope and our trust in him. And I know in today's day and age, man, there is a lot of craziness going on in the world. Is there not? People are looking for something a little more stable than government. People are looking for something a little more stable than their finances, than their careers, even than their relationships. People are looking and hungry for something that, that has substance. And I can promise you, based on God's word, you don't have to wonder and wander and hope and wish on a star. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, honestly, things may get worse. It's not all going to be rose-colored glasses. It's not going to be picture perfect. You're going to go through trials and struggles and storms. But here's the beauty of the relationship that we have in Christ and the hope in Christ. When I go through the storm, he's with me in the storm. The peace of Christ that passes all understanding is not the absence of struggle. It's that in the midst of the struggle, he comforts me and he guides me and he strengthens me. And not because I'm some perfect person that deserved his love and grace. I'm a sinner who has sinned, chief of all sinners. But yet he says, I love you even in your sin. And I died for you on the cross in that while you were yet sinners. And so we receive that hope. And we've talked a lot about what does that hope look like? We've talked about hope for the broken. We've talked about hope for the weary. If you feel exhausted or just drained emotionally, spiritually. If you're feeling broken, however you may define that. Or if you feel like you're the underdog. That just the world looks at you and just doesn't expect you ever to get ahead. But as we said last week, being the underdog is a good thing. Because Jesus was seen as an underdog. The disciples were seen as underdogs. And yet they turned the whole world upside down. And so don't be fearful to be an underdog. Smile, welcome that, and know that in Christ you are more than conquerors. If you missed any of those talks, we can encourage you to go online. You can find them on our website, northgoodland.org, or our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. All the messages are on there, and you definitely want to go back and listen to those and watch those if you missed any. But I want to jump in this morning as we wrap up this series and talk about hope for the doubter. Hope for the doubter. And so now we know as followers of Christ, especially in church, we are supposed to keep our doubts and questions to ourselves, right? We're supposed to just pretend that we know what we're supposed to know and we don't let on that we're not sure about some things. That in church, when we come to church, we're supposed to sit and smile and nod when we're supposed to nod and sing when we're supposed to sing and stand when we're supposed to stand. And when people ask how you're doing, the answer is, great, how are you? We're not really supposed to let on, right, that we got doubts and questions as followers of Christ, that we, we believe Jesus, we believe the hope we just talked about. But if we're really honest, there's some things in God's word that we're not quite sure about. There's some questions we have about some things. There's some things that maybe we were taught in previous churches or backgrounds, and we're not sure, like, I kind of have doubts about this or questions about that. But we've been taught also in church, we just sit and smile and go, yep, I'm great, everything's good, thanks. Of course, we know that's not true. Of course, we know that that's not really what God had in mind when he thought of this thing called the church. 
We're not supposed to come in and just smile and just pretend like everything's figured out. It's okay. You ready for this? Hold on. It's okay to have doubts and questions as a believer. It's okay to have doubts and questions as a believer. It's okay to actually sit back and go, man, I just don't know about this. You read something in scripture and you're like, I just, I can't get my mind around that. I can't see why God would do that or how did God do that or, or how does that apply to my life? Maybe you're here and you're not even a believer. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Christ. And maybe you have a lot of questions about the Bible or about faith or about Jesus or about God. And maybe as an unbeliever, and that's not meant to sound like a knock against you. It's just the reality. The Bible makes it clear. There's two groups of people in the world, those that know Christ and those that don't. And if you're on the side that you don't know Christ, maybe you've got questions and doubts and things that you've wrestled with. Maybe you have religious family members that say one thing and do another. Maybe you see hypocrisy in the church and you sit back and you go, that doesn't seem right. Maybe you have doubts and questions and you've gone to people who claim to be Christian and you've asked your questions and you felt kind of berated. You felt like your questions were silly. Like, how would you ask that question? You should just know that. You felt dismissed by them. Not validated in your doubts and questions, but actually felt to made kind of silly and foolish for even thinking these things. And so you've learned, okay, fine. I have questions and doubts, but obviously either they don't care to answer them or there are no answers. And so we just go about our day. Well, maybe there's no sufficient answer that I can find because the church seems to keep silent and not want to answer my questions. Let me encourage you this morning, whether you're a follower of Christ with questions and doubts, God is okay with that. If you're an unbeliever here today and you have questions and doubts about some things, don't wander any longer in that feeling of no one really cares. Because I'm here to tell you, if no one else has told you this or shown you this, we care as a church. If you're here today, I'm, I'm telling you right now, and I mean this with all my heart. If you don't know me, you, you get to know me, you'll know I mean this. If you have questions about this book, all you got to do on the back of your bulletin, there's a phone number, an email, ways to contact me, ways to contact the church. Reach out to me, and we will sit down together. And I'm not promising you I'll have all the answers in the first time we sit down, but I will promise you this. We will spend time getting into this, this book and answering the questions together. Don't let, because someone else dismissed you, don't let that keep you from trusting in Christ today. So if you're a believer here, and you've got some doubts, God's okay with that. We'll talk about how do we handle that. If you're an unbeliever here today, I want to encourage you to reach out. We can get into God's word, and we can look into God's word and see what are the answers. And again, now, what, what happens when we ask questions? Sometimes we don't like the answer. I'm not saying you're going to like the answer that we come to, but I promise you that when we get into God's word, we will be able to either find an answer or find a pattern or a principle that speaks to that specific issue that you're dealing with. We want to talk this morning about hope for the doubter. I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to dive into just a few verses. Uh, if you have a copy of God's word with you, uh, that's awesome. We encourage that. So turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, they're in the seats in front of you. There are some Bibles there. Um, you can grab one of those. Those are just Bibles that we provide. If you're using one of them, uh, we can tell you the page number is page 697. And so as you're turning in God's word, Matthew chapter 28, 
or if you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's page 697. And again, if you don't have a copy of God's Word that you could have at home or things like that, you can get it on your phone, obviously, or your device. But we also have Bibles at the Welcome Center. We'd love to give you one, just yours to keep and take home with you. But Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at what many would consider one of the most popular passages in Matthew. But I want to start in verse 16. So Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. We're just going to read verses 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, what's it say, church? Doubted. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm going to ask that we would pray. I know Pastor Greg prayed for us already, but I want to pray and ask God to affirm these words, these, these ideas, these concepts from the word of God into our hearts and minds that we would apply them by his grace. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that as your word has been read and will be read, we pray that it would be instilled in our hearts and minds. Lord, it is not my opinions that, that matter. It's not my ideas that anyone comes to hear this morning. It is the word of God that speaks. It is the word of God that is our authority and our standard for all that we believe. And so I pray that your word would be received this morning, that we would be open to what it says. Lord, if there's anyone here that is battling in unbelief, not as a believer, Lord, they're just, they don't know. I pray that they would know that there's one thing for sure they can guarantee that you love them. You died for their sins and they can know you as Savior by repenting, turning from their sins, and trusting in you. Father, speak now as we go through the remainder of this message, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to I encourage you with something. To me, this is one of the most encouraging verses and passages that we find in Matthew. It says there that the disciples, the eleven, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So we have to ask the question, did you catch that? Did you catch that some Doubted. This is following the resurrection of Christ when he appeared to the disciples. Yes, they worshipped him, praise God. And yet Matthew says, some doubted. Now, some will say, oh, that's just referring to Thomas. You know, doubting Thomas that we like to kind of pick on a little bit. Well, that's just doubting Thomas. You know, that's who it's really referring to. Well, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. John chapter 20, Verses 24 through 29 does give us that account where Thomas had questions and said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the holes and I can put my hand in his side. And he did make those statements. So we know that Thomas did have questions and was unsure if Jesus really rose from the dead. And again, I would argue, I don't know that it's doubt as much as it is grief talking there. Uh, Thomas said earlier in the Gospel of John that wherever Jesus went, he was willing to go. And if it meant he died, he died. He was fine with that. So I don't see Thomas as this kind of like soft-spoken, kind of weary, oh, I just don't know, I want to see some proof type guy. I think he was so full of grief when Jesus died that I think his grief was saying and speaking out in this way. But however you want to say it, it's true that he showed a level of doubt. He didn't believe initially that Jesus rose from the dead. So here Matthew records this for us. But does Matthew say, and Thomas doubted? No, what does it actually say? And some doubted. So it does give us that Thomas most likely doubted or showed unbelief. 
But I don't believe Thomas was the only one. I don't believe Thomas was the only one among the 11 that didn't have some unbelief in his life, that was really not sure about this, had a little doubt, had a little concern or questions. So we understand this. There's some, even among the disciples, that had doubts. Now let's read on. In Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. When, when Jesus is saying these words here, it's interesting. We call this the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission given to the disciples. They're going to go forth, and the book of Acts records this for us, right? The Acts of the apostles. It's them establishing this thing called the church and then all that takes place through the disciples as the church is growing and spreading. And then we read about Paul's conversion later in Acts chapter 9. And then really from Acts chapter 12 on, it's really the story of Paul, right? It's all that Paul's doing. And so we see this beautiful unfolding picture of the church. And yet Jesus is saying, this is the foundation of what you're going to do. Go forth. And what does he say there? He says, teach them. Teach them. Verse 19. Then it says, baptize them. Then it says, teach them to do all that I've commanded of you. Now, we can really kind of draw this out a little bit more to say that first teaching, that's the gospel. That's sharing the gospel with somebody that doesn't know Christ. And they come to know Christ and they receive him by faith. Then that believer, as we're going to experience this morning, then makes a decision to have a profession of that faith, which is baptism. Then following that moment, we see that second teaching of all the things he's commanded us. We call that discipleship. So we see evangelism, preaching the gospel. Someone comes to faith. They're then baptized following their salvation experience. And then now they're discipled in the things of Christ. But this should really encourage us. Not so much the commission that is given, but who it's given to. We just said, and we all know, the disciples do this great work. But who are among these 11 disciples? Do they all have perfect faith? No, the Bible says what? But some doubted. And you know what's encouraging to me, and it should be encouraging to you, is even though some doubted, Jesus still gave them the Great Commission and still used them to do this great thing called the church and building the church. Don't miss the power of these verses following verse 17. He commissions his disciples, even the ones that doubted, to go out into the world and make disciples. And so this should be an encouragement to us that even when we have doubts, don't believe for a second that God can't use you or that God won't use you. We're going to talk about what do we do with our doubts then as we walk this Christian life. And so what do we do with our doubts and questions? Two things I want to highlight first Two things I want to talk about about this area. The first thing we need to do is we need to take our doubts and questions to Christ. Prayer is the way that we communicate with God. So don't hesitate to tell him of your doubts and questions. Now, the reality is he already knows these things. He knows what's on our heart and he knows what's on our mind. He knows that we're struggling. So why should I bother to go to him? Because as any good father does, he wants us to come to him. I know when my boys are struggling in an area, either with something they're asked to do or just standing back and watching objectively as they're struggling with something, 
If it's schoolwork, we all know who gets involved there. It's Sandra. Dad, I have a question about my math. One second. Sandra! Math! Carrying decimals. Get in here. You got a Bible question? No? Sandra, get in here. Come on. But when we see our children struggling, we know they need help. And when they're really little, sometimes you'll just step in and, right, and just help or do whatever. But as they get older, one thing that we love as parents, not just as dads, but as parents, isn't it so welcoming when your child comes to you? And you could have stepped in and, and just solved the problem. But when they come to you and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, can you help me with this? Why do we love that? Because as a parent, we want them to know that we're there for them. And we know they're struggling. We know they're battling in an area. And by the way, as they get older, the struggles are still there. They just change into different kinds of struggles, right? But isn't it great? Even maybe if you have adult children, you ever have an adult child, maybe your daughter that's a new mom, call you up and go, mom, listen, I don't know what, it, what to do. And you just love that because you'd love to be able to what? Just step in and show your love by being there for them. Listen, our father in heaven loves to hear his children say, dad, I need some help. Dad, I'm struggling in something. Can you just give me some wisdom on this? Some think that it is irreverent or unfaithful to question God. After all, Paul says in Romans that we are merely clay. And who are we to question the potter? That there's this attitude that Paul addresses in Romans chapter 9, that, that there's this mindset that we question God in an irreverent way. And Paul's reminder is, hey, you're just a lump of clay on the potter's wheel. He's forming. Don't, you don't get to ask him, why did you make me thus and so? So Paul says that, but then we sit back and go, wait a minute. But so then I can I ask my questions or, or is that wrong? In Mark chapter 9, we're not going to turn there for time's sake, but in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, you can jot it down for notes, we read of a father who is literally broken. He's broken. I mean, the Bible literally says that when he cried out, he cried out in tears. This father is broken and, and just distraught over his son's condition. And in Mark 9, 24, he tells Jesus, when Jesus asks him, do you believe I can do all things? He says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Lord, I believe. I really do, Lord. I really do believe. But I know in me, there's a part of me that doesn't believe. Would you help my unbelief? And the response to that honest declaration is the healing of his son. So what do we do with that? Paul says, don't, don't ask. You're just clay on a wheel. But in Mark, this father cries out and Jesus responds favorably and heals his son. The father is telling Jesus that he believes and yet he has doubt at the same time. I believe the key difference between what Paul speaks of in the example we read of in Mark is our heart and our attitude toward God. If we come in arrogance as though God owes us anything, we are coming in a wrong manner. That's what Paul was referring to, that we would dare to shake our fist at God and say, you do what I say. You conform to what I want you to be. When we come in that manner, God says, That's, I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to receive that arrogance, that pride. But when we come in faith and say, Lord, honestly, I want to believe, I believe, but I know me and my flesh, there's not perfect faith. Would you just help me with my unbelief? That is a heart of reverence and honesty and humility. 
And so when we have questions and doubts, we don't shake our fist and demand an answer from God. And by the way, he created you. You didn't create him. But we can come in reverence and say, God, I don't know about all this. I want to believe. Would you help my unbelief? I believe when we come merely being honest and vulnerable, acknowledging he is God and we are not, I believe God receives us and will fill us with his peace. So the first thing we need to do is talk to Jesus about these things. We pray about it. We go to him about it. Another thing that we can do quickly is we can talk about them with someone else. We can actually talk to someone else about our doubts and our struggles as a follower of Christ. And so a question we have to ask ourselves is, who is someone in your life that you can sit down with and share your doubts? I want you to think about that for a second. As a believer, if you have doubts or questions, who is somebody right now in your life that you can sit down with and just share your doubts and your questions and just be vulnerable with and transparent with? If you're not sure about that, if you're like, I don't really know who I would do that with, I want to give you a couple things to consider. I want to be practical this morning, not just conceptual. I don't want to give you great ideas without giving you maybe some ways to apply this to your life. So some simple things to think about. As a believer, so as a Christian, if you have doubts and questions and you're thinking about who can I sit down with, someone that knows the Lord and desires to grow in him would be someone you should sit down with. Someone that knows the Lord. So if you're a Christian, you're going to a believer. The Bible is very clear on this. Psalms 1 talks about we don't go to the world for counsel. We don't go to the wicked for counsel. Because if we go to the wicked for counsel, we're going to be led astray. But when we go for counsel, for that advice, for that intimate, man, I just really want to know how to deal with this question or doubt, we go to another believer. And that believer also, we hope, desires to grow in the Lord. There's a passion there. Something else to consider. We want to go to someone that holds Scripture as truth cover to cover. We don't want to go to somebody that picks and chooses what verses are true and what verses aren't because it fits or doesn't fit their ideas. We want to go to somebody that says, no, this book doesn't just contain truth, it is truth, cover to cover. And that's somebody we should prayerfully consider going to. Another thing to consider, if you're married and your spouse is a believer, so if you're married and you're a believer and your spouse is a believer, then I would encourage you to start there. Go to your spouse, your husband or your wife and share those things. Well, but I don't want to let them, I don't want to let them know that I don't got it all figured out. That's pride. There's no growth there. I'm not saying you got to get into all the things, but maybe you start by just saying, hey, I have some doubts. Have you ever questioned this? Have you ever wondered about this? You know, the Bible says in Corinthians that if a wife has questions about something that she heard in church, the principle that's laid forth there is a wife can go home and have that conversation with her husband and ask her husband what this or that means. Now, in the scriptures, we see that the man, the, the husband, is meant to be the spiritual leader in the home. And so as a husband, guess what? If the Bible says that my wife, if she has questions about something she heard in church, it's a little different because I'm the preacher, but because she hears this sermon like three or four times before we get to church, whether she wants to or not. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Other times I'll start talking and I'm like, I'm not preaching though. Okay. But there are times in my, in our Christian lives as, as a couple that she studied something on her own or a Bible study or something and she'll come and she'll start asking me questions. And can I tell you, I love that. Man, I love that as a husband that I can just sit there and go, man, this is awesome. Not that I get to answer questions, which is sometimes I'm like, I don't know, let's look it up. Being honest, I, believe it or not, I don't have this book memorized, okay? But there's so many times where I'm like, 
how awesome is it that she's excited to grow? And I get to help in that. But you know what else that, that means? I need to be studying. I need to be preparing. Because if the Bible says, hey, wives, you can go to your husbands if they know Christ and ask them questions about these things, then I better step up as a man of the home and say, I got to put my work in. And I better be in the word. And I better be on my knees. Because it's my bad if she comes to me and I go, wow, I don't even want to talk about this. It's not, well, I'm not sure. Let's get in God's word and see. That's different than, I don't have time for this. I'm busy. I got my hobbies. I got my things. I got my friends. I ain't got time for this. And the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Do you know what that means? If you're a husband, then your wife, the longer she's married to you, should feel like she's more and more married to Jesus. And that's convicting because I know I'm not there. But I want to challenge all of us as men to step up our game and say, no, I'm going to be committed. Things talked about, I want them to know they can come to me, not because I got all the answers, but because I know where we can find them. And so one of the things we can do is we can go to our spouse. Now, if you're married to an unbeliever, I know that's difficult. I know that's tough. But you know, the Bible says that you get to be a light to that spouse, that they can see the gospel in you and that they may come to Christ just by seeing Christ in you. So we live this life for Christ, for his glory. And again, one more thing I would encourage as you're prayerfully considering who to sit down with. I would encourage all of us to be willing to listen with discernment and study for ourselves. It's great to go to someone. It's a blessing to go to somebody and talk to them. It is one of the purposes of the church, really, if we're thinking about it. The whole reason God put us in this thing called the church, the body of Christ, is to go to one another and share these things. However, remember that the word of God is our standard. And it is important that you do not just take an answer from someone without studying it for yourself. A believer may give great advice with great intentions, but it may or may not be biblical. And we got to get into God's word for ourselves and go, okay, thank you for that. Now let me see what the Bible says about that. So if you don't have someone to talk to, if you don't have someone to sit down with as a believer, there's some things to consider. But what do you do if someone comes to you and trusts you enough to share their doubts and questions with you. And what do you do if you're the one that they're going, hey, can I ask you some things? Well, first of all, realize that's a great privilege and an honor. And it should humble you and also remind you that you don't have all the answers. You're pointing them to Jesus Christ. But some things to consider for you when somebody comes to you. Number one, listen carefully and be transparent with your own doubts. Listen carefully don't just hear them, listen to them. By the way, husbands, don't just hear your wife, listen to the wife. A lot of husbands hear what their wives say, but don't really listen to what their wives say. And then they're shocked 20 minutes later when she's staring at you and you have not done whatever it was you were supposed to do. But you're kind of like, I don't know what you're asking me to do because you weren't listening. You ever notice the Bible? I always have to say this. When the Bible says a man's name, you ever notice it says it twice? Abraham, Abraham. Isaac, Isaac. Why? Because they know he won't listen the first time. Wives, don't get frustrated with your husbands. It's just, it's in us. Thank you, Adam. All right. Of course, it probably would have been good if he didn't listen to his wife, right? Did I say that? I did not say that. Okay. TJ, delete that from the online recording. We're going to back that up. Great. Pastor says I shouldn't listen to my wife. Okay. Now, letters are going to pour in. It's going to be great. Okay. 
So we need to listen carefully and be transparent, right? Now, it's not saying we got to share everything, but again, we got to be honest. If you have doubts and someone comes to you with doubts, don't go, wow, you really, you struggle with that? I've never struggled with that. Ain't wrong. You're going to discourage them. You're going to frustrate them. They're going to think, wow, I'm a, I'm a freak. Everyone else got this figured out. No, we be transparent. Okay, we just be honest and vulnerable. Another thing that we can do, we pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Man, I, we need to pray for his wisdom in these situations, not our own understanding. James 1 talks about that, right? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He wants to give us his wisdom. We need to pray for wisdom. If someone comes to you, another thing you can do is get into God's word with them. Open God's word with them. Share verses with them right there in person. And then also help them to understand how they can search God's word for themselves. Don't just show them you know where the answers are. Help them and teach them to be able to get in God's word to know how to find it on their own. Because you want to help them to grow beyond that six-week or that couple-week conversation. Again, you will not have all the answers, but we never stop growing as a student of God's word. So what do we do with our doubts and questions? We talk about them with the Lord through prayer and with others with wisdom, with our doubts and questions. The first thing we do is we talk about them. The other key is we don't let them distract us. We don't let them distract us. First of all, we don't let them distract from our walk with Christ. We can get discouraged and caught up in the doubts and questions and think that until we have it, quote, figured out, we will need to take kind of a break from Jesus. I need to take a break from church. I need to take a break from Jesus because I want to figure this out. Taking a break will never work. Now, I'm not talking about not pulling back out of a ministry, stepping back out of a position, taking some time to kind of reflect over some things. I'm talking about when people say take a break, they usually mean they stop devotions, they stop prayer, they stop attending church. And if you have doubts and questions and you stop those things, your flesh and the enemy will just roar into those doubts and questions. But as you stay consistent in God's word, consistently praying, consistently with the body of Christ, you may not find the answers right away, but you will find peace. And so don't let it distract you from your walk with Christ. We all have questions and doubts. We continue to grow in him. We cannot let a question about one area of our faith distract from the truth we hold in the gospel. The solution is never going to be pausing your walk with Christ or stepping back from fellowship with the church. When we do those things, we are giving a foothold to the flesh and the enemy to lure us away from the intimacy available in Christ. So we don't let our doubts and questions distract us from our walk with Christ. But also, we don't allow our doubts and distraction, our questions to distract us from our mission for Christ. Remember our opening text in Matthew 28? Jesus gave them a specific commission. He commissioned the disciples when they still had doubts, not after they had all the questions answered. You can write it down for yourself. Acts chapter 10, this beautiful story about Peter the one who preached on the day of Pentecost and thousands come to Christ. In Acts chapter 10, he's being taught and he has to wrestle with his own prejudices against Cornelius, against the Gentiles, uh, realizing that he really is free in Christ. And so you can read it. Like, it's amazing how God, even at that point, had to still deal with some things in Peter and yet he preached on the day of Pentecost and thousands come to Christ because we don't have to have all the answers. God can use us right where we are. Similarly, we must not get distracted from why we are here, which is clear from the word to be his witnesses, leading others to become followers of Christ. We do not let the gray areas, what we call the gray areas, those unknown areas, uh, to us 
They're great to us. They're not great to God, by the way, but they're great areas to us of God's word, distract from the clear teachings of Scripture. In the last few years, a word has popped up in church circles and is being used by Christians that were wrestling with questions and doubts. Some or many of these individuals grew up in strong, Bible-believing churches and yet feel disconnected from their beliefs or their faith. The word that is being thrown around the last few years is the word deconstruct. Deconstruct. And is meant to be applied to those that once held certain views of God or his word, but now question if they really ever believed or could believe those things. If they ever really followed Christ at all. Because they feel like there are more questions than answers or because they don't like the answers. So this word is being popularized and people are supposedly walking away from the faith. Because I can't believe this if the world is saying that and the culture is saying this and my flesh is saying this. So they use this term in a spiritual sense to talk about this journey they're on to deconstruct these beliefs. For me, we will always have questions and often not like the answers. But the solution is not to deconstruct everything we believe, but to evaluate what we believe and why through the lens of Scripture. When our lives are built on the sure foundation of Christ and not on emotion or relevance to cultural norms, we will not need to deconstruct and build again because our foundation is secure. So I want to challenge you this morning as we go to invitation, which is just a time of response. We want to give you to respond to what God is doing. Do you have questions? Do you have doubts? Do you have things that you wrestle with as a believer or maybe as an unbeliever? I want to encourage you, take those to the Lord in prayer. Talk to someone about those things. But don't let them distract you. Don't let them distract from your walk with Christ and don't let them distract from the mission that you've been placed here to to complete, to do, to work. And we're here for his glory. If you have questions and doubts, please don't let them distract you. Let them encourage you to get into his word, to pray, to have conversations, to be okay with disagreeing in certain areas of our faith with other believers. But the key is, do they know Christ? Do they really believe that he is the only way, that this is the word of God? And start there, have those conversations and watch God grow you in tremendous ways. I'm going to ask that we would pray as the praise band comes and is going to lead us in worship. I'm going to ask that right there where you are, that you'd begin to pray. To ask God to work in and through this situation of doubts and questions that you may have. Times that you wrestle with. Maybe you would right now give those things to the Lord. Maybe you pray for wisdom about who you can talk to about those things. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with, I pray that you would give it to him. I pray that you would realize that he wants to work in and through this time. If you don't know Christ, maybe you would come and bend a knee and say, Lord, I need to know you as my Lord and personal Savior. I repent of my sins, and I trust in you for eternal life. Whatever it is that God is doing, would you respond to him as we sing out? Father, bless now this time. Be with us, Lord, and help us to respond to you. Holy Spirit, we don't need to invite you or beg you to work. We know that you can and will. Your word, keep going. Father, for the one that's here that has doubts and questions in their faith, I pray that they would not get distracted, but keep going. For the unbeliever, Lord, I pray that they would stop letting those things distract them from the truth that you love them and you want to know them. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today that thinks their sin is just too great. 
You could never forgive someone like them. Lord, oh, may they know the truth that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And there is grace to cover every sin if we would repent and turn to you. Thank you for all of this and be with us now as we worship. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.